And I just want to extend my thanks again to our teachers and those who served at ESL. Thank you. I, I know we have some students here. I know we have some, some owners of businesses who are supposed to start at 11 o'clock today. I still see them out here because I think they just love their teachers. And it's, it's just, a, just a blessing to watch what's happening as God has opened our hearts and giving us a, a desire to, to love the nations and love all kinds of people groups. And if you've ever had a stirring and a desire to find a way that you can make a difference uh, in people who've come here for various reasons and, and desiring to learn English, but also desiring to have relationships, it's a fun place to be. And I hope you'll, I hope you'll join us. And, and uh, after the service, we're going to be hanging around because we're going to give as a gift to those who are workers. We're going to give them a, a voucher towards the, uh, the food trucks today. So they're going to be hanging around. Uh, we may have some students around as well. So please ask and hang out and just meet some new people during that time. Uh, and also, I'm just really excited. I don't think Diana said this, but Diana, Diana has uh, done a not only amazing job with our ESL, and could we just thank her for, you know, for what she's done? I don't know of anybody who loves ESL more than you, and uh, she just has a, uh, a genuine passion, and, um, and as a result of God really prospering our ESL ministry, we've, we've actually received uh, permission or opportunity to be a, a, training, uh, a training church uh, for ESL, so we'll be looking into that at the end of next year and be looking into that. So that'll give us an opportunity to, to help not only our own program, but either additional programs in the area that we're really seeking to serve as well. Well, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church, and it's great to have the opportunity to speak to you today. And uh, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for joining us online. We are in a, a James series. We've just gotten started a few weeks ago. <clears throat> James is one of those books that if you really, really, really want to get practical in your Christian life and talk about you know, real life kinds of stuff, it's really very, very much geared towards the practical. And so we really look forward to kind of working our way through this book over the next several months together. Our text today, or our, our title for the message today is Dealing with Anger. And our text is James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and I'm going to read those to you. It says, Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, when we start talking about things like our speech and anger and the consequences of those things, Lord, we are very aware of our need for your mercy, for your forgiveness, for your patience. Thank you that you knew that about us, and so you've sent your Son to be uh, a Savior for us. Thank you that he forgives. Thank you that he transforms Thank you that he accepts us. Thank you that he continues to work in us. Lord, help me today to communicate your truth clearly and faithfully. Lord, give us ears that really want to hear what your word says. Don't let us be those who just listen, but let us be ones who listen with a desire, Lord, for you to transform our lives. And so I ask you to help me now as I share with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, the book of Exodus uh, begins after the people of Israel had been in Egypt for quite a period of time, and time has passed along, and, and Joseph, who had kind of brought the people there, has long gone, and the, the Jewish people have just increased in number. They're just a massive group of people now. And they were a threat to the Egyptian pharaoh and their people, and so they enslaved the Jewish people there uh, in Egypt. And in fact, they were doing their very best to keep them from growing in numbers. And so they instructed the midwives to, to take the lives of any boy that was born. And yet in God's providence, there was a couple of uh, that, they were Levites, and they decided that they were going to go against the Pharaoh's um, you know, desire to kill their son. And so they, they took this son of theirs, and they protected him and kept him secret for a period of time until he got so large, maybe too loud, you know, to be able to keep silent anymore. And so prayerfully, they made a basket and covered that basket so that it would be waterproof. And they put the boy into that and put him in the reeds by the side of the Nile. And by God's direction and by God's providence, the daughter of Pharaoh came and actually rescued that, that child. And she raised that child as her own. And we know that child as Moses. When Moses had grown, he thought perhaps God was leading him to be a part of the rescue or the, or the protection of the, of the Jewish people. And so he saw one of his countrymen being oppressed. And so he intervened and actually killed uh, an Egyptian. But the result of that was that being exposed, he also knew now that his life was endangered, and so he fled. And for 40 years, he went to Midian. And there in Midian, he spent a very humbling season of life, kind of taken away from everything that he thought was going to be his, everything that he thought, all the privileges he had had, all the wealth that he had had, and he was just a lowly shepherd in that time. And God was working in 40-year period on humbling this man, on preparing this man, preparing a man that would become one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, leading the most number of people for the longest period of time. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says, about Moses and how it speaks of Moses. It says, Moses was very meek, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. And his meekness shown over the 40 years, was shown over the 40 years of the way that he responded to the difficulties of life, the acceptance of God's will, the dealings of Pharaoh and the hardening of his heart and his abuse of the people, Later, in dealing with the people of God and endless battles and grumblings and rebellion with those recalcitrant, disappointing people, people he was trying to lead out of Egypt back to Canaan, his opposition by his own brother and sister, even the enormous disappointment he had of not himself being able to go into the promised land. And that was because in one instance we have Moses lost his temper all the people would continue to harangue him all the time and give him difficulty. And one time he just kind of just got angry. Instead of speaking to a rock for water to be provided for his people, he struck the rock. 
And as a result, God said, you're not going to go into the promised land now because you didn't treat me as holy. Yet, he did not curse God. He did not protest to God, but quietly received God's plan for him. And sadly, he accepted God's plan. That's meekness. Meekness for a child of God means accepting what comes. Knowing that it comes from the hand of God who orders all things. What he sends, we accept in faith, even if it hurts, even if it's difficult. Knowing that it's for God's glory, ultimately for our good and for the good of others. As we look at our text today, I want us to look together, and I believe the idea I think the Lord would have us come away with is this, that sinful anger is mastered through meekness and power. In order for us to be transformed in different people, it's going to take God developing meekness in our heart, in our lives, as, long, as well as the power of God to do what he calls us to do. And so our first point here is that meekness is foundational. Verse 19, James 1.19 says this, Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think underlying these very specific things that God is asking us not to do or to do, you know, not to be quick to react, but quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. It's not about just biting our tongue and counting to 10. I think underneath that, there's an attitude that God is wanting to address in our lives. And that is really, I think, captured in the idea of meekness. A lot of time when we hear the word meekness, we think weakness. We think of someone who's just like a doormat and they just, they don't do anything. They just get abused all the time. But meekness is not weakness, but strength under control. A lot of times you'll see a picture of a, a war horse, a strong war horse, under the control of its master. This horse that has such power and such ability, and yet it's submitted to the will of its, past, of its master. Strength under control. When compared with humility, Meekness refers to behavior towards others, where humility refers to an, an attitude towards oneself. You know, humility isn't thinking too lowly of yourself. Uh, we can tend to think too highly of ourselves, that's pride. But really, humility is not really thinking about yourself. If you spend all your time talking about how lowly you are and how not very good you are and not very helpful you are. And if you talk about those all the time, that's not really humility. Humility really is not focused on yourself. And so humility is very similar to meekness, but it's kind of the inward attitude of the man or the woman. Where meekness, as I said here, is the behavior towards others. And meekness is going to be foundational in our Christian life. So it says here in James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So let's take these one at a time. Quick to hear. You know, when you're in a conversation with someone, or especially if you're in a disagreement with them, 
the scriptures would tell us that first of all, we need to be listeners, quick to hear. In other words, listening to what the other person is saying, trying to get their perspective, trying to make sure that we understand the point that they're making, asking good questions, wanting to understand their opinions. And a lot of times we're quick to respond because we think we already got the story. We already see what's happening. We already know the person's argument. And so we're quick to argue or quick to give our perspective. But quick to hear means I'm suspicious that maybe I don't have the whole story here. Or maybe I'm not seeing things clearly. Or maybe I'm not seeing your perspective and the truth that's going to help me to have a better understanding of the situation. Quick to hear. Puritan uh, Thomas Watson said this. He said, meekness towards other people consists of three things. The bearing of injuries, the forgiving of injuries, and the returning of good for evil. I think that if we're to be slow to speak... And quick, excuse me, quick to hear in the situation, you know, we're not, we're not there to react quickly. We're there to listen. And for many of us, it's a character issue that's a, a, our, our problem. You know, as I said, it's either a pride issue or unwillingness to suffer some loss or have some consequence in our life. Character grows out of trials. And I, I think... Thomas Watson here, I think he really pointed out something and I think it's going to be very helpful for us to understand in this context of the book of James of how trials are going to be for our good. It's interesting to me as you look at the life of Moses that we just talked about that it took 40 years of being humbled before God brought him back to do what he was interested in doing, which was helping his people 40 years before that. But it was in that 40-year period that God worked his work of character development to bring about humility and, and brokenness, I'm sure, and willingness to take a lowly spot. And Watson says, that's going to mean that there's going to be, in your life, opportunities to bear with injuries, to have to forgive people for things that they've done wrong to not get them back, to not make them pay, but to respond with something good even though they're responding with something evil toward you. Not waiting for them to come halfway. Not waiting for them to say that they were sorry. But meekness, I think, has been, has been developed in the crucible of real life with real difficulties, with real sorrows and sufferings. Meekness is foundational. One person said, you know, that's why God, you know, being slow to speak is why God gave us two ears and one mouth. <laughs> because he wants us to listen, to draw out that other person, to find out what they really think, and waiting to speak. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. 
but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When words are many, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to probably vent something that's going to cost you, or it's going to cost your relationship. Meekness is foundational. Again, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. So let's, let's talk about slow to speak. You may, you may regret those statements that you've just made. I mean, I have shared many, many times of things that I said in haste or in, in anger and irritation to my, to my children, to my wife, to others. And as soon as I said it, I was like, wow, that is so wrong. That is so bad. That was so damaging. And most of us probably have instances in our lives where someone was said, maybe our parents said things to us, that given time and talking with them, you know that they really never meant that, but it's hard to take that back. Regretting those statements be slow to speak. And not, not, not thinking that your opinion is the only opinion. That, you know, how a lot of times in a debate or in a difficult situation, we're not listening to hear, listening to understand. We're listening to argue. So we're listening to the point that is being made by someone so that we can take that point and use that to our advantage. Be slow to speak, the scriptures tell us. Proverbs 17, 28, it says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. I remember the first time I'd, uh, I'd been ordained as pastor and I went to a conference with all these people that I had listened to all their teachings for many, many years. And I, and I told myself the whole time, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. Just don't open your mouth. Don't say it, just listen. And all these people said, you know, they saw me afterwards and said, man, you have grown so much. (laughs) It says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Because the nature of foolishness is to keep talking and to keep venting, to keep sharing your, your opinion, your perspective. And I'm not taking away from the fact that, yeah, God has called us to communicate and God has called us to share thoughts and equip others. I love this story. Uh, Years ago, I heard this. Amy Beth Gardner, after finishing all the normal back-to-school rituals with her 11-year-old Brianna, she had decorated their locker, choosing a uniform for the first day of school, and even surprising her with a new backpack. Brianna was now she was older. Her mom wanted to discuss how she should be more responsible for for her words. And as an illustration, the mom instructed Brianna to squeeze an entire tube of toothpaste on a plate. After squeezing the tube out, which she had a great time doing, her mom gave her a toothpick, a spoon, and a fork and asked her to put the toothpaste back in the, in the tube. Attempting for a few moments without success, Brianna gave up, confused and perplexed. Her mom said, as you go into middle school, you're about to see just how weighty your words can be. You're going to have the opportunity to use your words to hurt, to demean, to slander, and to wound others. 
you were also going to have the opportunity to use your words to heal, encourage, inspire, and love others. But understand that once you speak, you cannot take your words back. Gardner encouraged her daughter to use her words carefully. Decide tonight that you are going to be a life giver in middle school. Be known for your gentleness and your compassion. Use your life to give life to a world that so desperately needs it. You will never, ever regret choosing kindness. Can't put your words back in. Once we spew those out, I mean, we can forgive and we choose to forgive, but they're still there. They're still there. So we've talked about being quick to hear and slow to speak, and now let's add slow to anger. Again, Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. There's something in our, in our culture today that really encourages us to just get it out. Just be honest. Just tell me what you really think. And while I'm for transparency and for a degree of, of sharing my life with, with you and with others, I also know that I have in the back of my mind the fruit of a sinful nature and the lies and the darts of a demon or, or, or a Satan who wants to destroy people's lives. And here it says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. But if you're really wise, it says you're going you're gonna to consider what that word is going to do, what that communication is going to bring. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Like when you see the movies and you see somebody who can kind of just... Take, take on a whole city and defeat them. It says if you can control your spirit, you're more powerful than that. You're more powerful than the mighty if you're slow to anger. And I would say the foundation of being able to be that and do that is meekness. And how would we cultivate meekness in our lives? Well, here's just a few thoughts. First of, all, first of all, we need to put to death or crucify our ego, our self-will, and our pride. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. My life is not about me anymore. My life is for Christ. And part of my ability to not be offended and hurt and, and argumentative and vindictive is I need to die. I need to let my reputation, I let God you know, be my defender. My self-will, my pride, and this will be a lifetime of, of, of work. You know, as we, as we read earlier about Moses was the most meek man on the earth and yet he still sinned. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And secondly, I need to be yielded and surrendered and submit to the will of God. And if God tells me something to do or to be, you know, that's, that's, my, that's my marching orders. It says, number three, be subject and obedient to God's word. Um, 
Well, you know, back on the uh, yield and surrender, you know, all these things, we can find a parallel and an example in the life of Jesus, you know, being yielded and submitted to the will of God. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus was talking with his father in Gethsemane, and he was making his request, but he said, but not my will, Father, but your will be done. His, his way and his reason and part of the way that he was able to respond as he did going to the cross and the abuse that he took was he had already wrestled that through and already decided that with his father. It's not going to be my way, Lord. Not this time. Your will be done. And then, as I said, number three, be subject and obedient to God's word in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus was talking about two sons, and the father told them both what he wanted them to do. And one said, I'm going to do that. The other one says, I'm not going to do that. And the one who said, I'm not going to do that, ended up deciding, no, I, I, I'm going to do that. And the one who said he would, didn't. And so it's not what we say, it's how we live that really reflects a humility and a meekness. Number four, be patient as you wait on God's timing. Be patient. And it's difficult in trials to be patient. It's difficult when the, the, the trial and the difficulties don't go away. It's hard to remain faithful. It's hard to remain constant in the way that we follow and serve God. Psalm 37, verses 7 to 11 say this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. What happens if you don't do that? It goes on. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. When, when you and I are not patient, when we're not resting in the goodness and the power and the sovereignty and the mysterious ways of God, when we're not content there, we're going to be fretting. We're going to be afraid of the one who's plotting against us or does evil things to us. It says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it leads only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. If you want to have peace, we need to let God have his way. And we need to wait for him. And then fifthly, consider yourself a servant. Uh, we, in our small group, a bunch of us guys were talking together, and, and there's this kind of a reoccurring conversation we have about driving on the beltway. <laughs> and driving in general. <laughs> how difficult it is. It's really hard, isn't it? And so if we, were to, if we were to think in terms of I'm out here actually to serve all these people I'm driving around, and they're really in a hurry, I guess I should let them get by me. <laughs> I, I definitely don't want to slow them down with an argument, you know. Luke chapter 17, verse 10 says, it talks about how someone has served all day long and they've worked hard all day. And then the servant, when he came back, he cleaned himself up so that he could prepare dinner 
for someone else. It sounds like, like some of your jobs. You know? Come home and now you got to clean up. Now you got to serve somebody else. You got to feed them. And then when it's all done, then maybe you get to eat. Maybe. And he uses that example. He says, so you too, when you do all the things that are commanded, you say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done that, which we ought to have done. I think we get into a lot of problems in our anger, in our strife. When we start camping on our rights, we start thinking about all the rights that we have. When we think about what, what, we're deserve, what we really deserve and who hasn't done their part, I think that's a trap. I believe God wants us to fight for the rights of others, but I think we get into trouble when we start fighting for our own rights. We spend a lot of time there. It sets up a lot of difficulties. In John chapter 13, Jesus was talking to his disciples on his last night when really he had already told them, I'm going to a cross tonight. I'm going to be betrayed tonight. And nobody, nobody was willing to do any cleaning that day. And so he wrapped the blanket, he wrapped the towel around himself and knelt down with all those disciples and washed their filth on the towel that was around him. And he said, you, you call me teacher and Lord, but you, and you're right, I am that. He said, but if I, the Lord and the teacher, do this, you also ought to serve one another. And I think if we don't see ourselves as servants, and Jesus said the best is going to be the greatest, the greatest is going to be the one who serves everybody. I think when we have that mindset, we'll be in a different position when things don't go the way we think they should in our situation. Man's anger is futile. It's not just, you know, inconvenient. It just doesn't work. In James chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, yeah, you might have gotten him to do the dishes. Oh, yeah, your boss may have gotten you to get that assignment in on time. But that was not done in a way that honored God, and that produces consequences along with it. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not talking about how you, how you become righteous. This is talking about how you live your life, how God's life is modeled, how God's life brings glory. Your anger, my anger, It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't bring about the fruit or the honor and glory that God desires in your situation, in my situation. Jesus warned in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, he said this. He said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I mean, it was important to Jesus how we talk, how we act, how we respond. It means something to him. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel 
Anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. I, I just, this last week I got to go down and visit my dad in Florida at the point where the last hurricane kind of came through Florida and there was a surge that had just destroyed, destroyed a beautiful island and all the homes and all the things around it. And it's been now eight months and there's destruction everywhere. And they're saying that that island will never be the same. That's what anger does. It's destroying things. Wrath, it says here, um, wrath is cruel. Anger, in one translation, says anger is a flood. It's overwhelming. And that's what our anger brings. Proverbs 15, verse 8 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. What's the fruit of our words in any given conversation? Is it stirring up more strife? Or is it bringing peace? Is it bringing conciliation? Is it bringing, you know, we don't we have to get real deep and theological. We just see the fruit of our words very quickly around us. And our words can be for good as well. So meekness is our foundation. Man's anger is futile. It's not going to accomplish what, what God would want. And thirdly, the gospel is powerful. I want to just touch back, because you'll see why in a moment here. I want to touch back on last week's message where it's talking about how God's not going to tempt anybody. He's good. You know, he's all the good gifts, all of the good things that are happening. Every good thing comes from God. And it goes on in verse 18. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This word of truth is another way of talking about the gospel. This word of truth brought forth the first fruits. That means he... He brought us into his family. He brought us into the kingdom. He forgave us. But he didn't just forgive us only. He also gave us a new life. He's given us a new ability to live differently. And then verse 19, which was the beginning of our section, says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The know this, it can, be, it can be looked at two different ways in its original languages. It could be kind of an exhortation like, know this, you know, do that, you know, be aware of this. But it also can reflect a, a thought of, you, know, you do know this. And that's what the New American Standard Bible says. You know this, my brothers and sisters. Now everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I think that's what it's talking about. If I were just to give you more law, more Commandments like, hey, stop being angry. Stop talking to your brother like that. Don't talk with your husband like that. Don't talk with your wife like that. You know, don't talk to your employees that way. Don't react that way. You know, we can just be giving out more instructions and laws of how to be good. But God's kind to us in that when he gives us an instruction of how to live our lives, he's also giving us the gospel in almost every situation. You can see where the gospel is the means by which our lives are being transformed. 
He said, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. Know this, my beloved brothers. This is, this is what you and I have been given. We've not been given, like, just forgiveness only so that we can wait to someday be a different person, you know, when we get our new body in heaven. That's true. And ultimately, that's when it's going to be fulfilled and completed. But here in this life, here at this time, God has also given us the gospel. And in Christ, we also have a new life, even now, and new power even now. The gospel is powerful. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Think, of that, think about that with your greatest struggle you've got in your life. Your old self, the old you, was crucified with him, and in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that power that it had over you, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We know that sin is still present. We know that we're still tempted, but the power of sin has been broken because of the cross. Now, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. It goes on, verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It says you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This is kind of a, an accounting term that says you can put this in the bank. Because of what Christ has done, not only did he forgive you, not only did he bring you into his family, not only did he promise you things in heaven, but he's also, he's also given you his power to break that sin in yours and my life, including anger. But you must consider yourself dead to sin. There's a faith aspect to getting the benefit of this power that's been given to you. So you need to not just try harder in your own ability, in your own strength, but by the power of God in you, your death in Christ, your resurrection to a new life in Christ is available to you. The gospel is powerful. And what should I, it says I'm, I'm supposed to remember these things, I'm supposed to know these things, I'm supposed to consider these things. So what things should I know and consider? I'm no longer mastered by sin any longer. I am a new creation in Christ. I am accepted and forgiven, and that one's especially helpful when you keep going back to that old sinful way or you keep sinning against the people around you. I'm accepted by God and forgiven, and I'm called to be a servant of all. <clears throat> I, can, I can do nothing apart from Christ. I'm not going to be able to live this life apart from his life in me, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The gospel is powerful. Paul, again, speaking to the church at Colossae, said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These are important to God. And it goes on in verse 7. And these, and these you too once walked. This was our past. 
and these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. That means that the temptation and the opportunity to keep doing those old things is still with us here in this life. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You must put that away, he says. Because that is not who you are in Christ. That is not your inheritance in Christ. That's taking the, the supply of power and grace that God has given you and just putting it aside and I think I can handle this on my own. I want to try it one more time in my own strength. Don't do that. Don't do that. The gospel is powerful. Worship team, you can come. Consider the meekness of Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, when it was talking about he was crushed for our sin. He was, he was given up for our iniquities. It says in verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that has been before its shears, he was silent and he opened not his mouth. We could look at many, many individuals through the scriptures and we will see that God is working power and, weak, and, and meekness in their lives. We're instructed in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to hold on to, to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's our path. To follow him means to follow that path. To empty ourselves, to be the servant, to not look out primarily for our own interests. To humble ourselves and in our actions reflect that we are Christ followers. So brothers and sisters, this for me will be something I'm sure for the rest of my life will be something I'm pursuing but for many of us, I believe that this is a message that God wants to give us hope. Because Jesus understands. He's a great high priest. And he's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And I believe in this area, sinful anger is mastered through, meek, through meekness and power. The power of the gospel, the power of Christ in you. And meekness to take the position that allow you to walk in that truth. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that you became a man so that you, you really do know what it's like to suffer in this life and to be mistreated. You've experienced wrongfully being sinned against in so many ways. And yet, Lord, said, I'm a worm and not a man. You, you were willing to just 
be crushed. And you were a lamb led to the slaughter. You were silent before Pilate because you weren't there to defend yourself. You were there to do your Father's will. Other places you were bold and courageous in in deeds that you did, clearing out the temple. But, Lord, for most of us, our anger is very self-focused. And so, God, give us grace to keep hope and to keep uh, pursuing your life and your example. Thank you for doing all these things for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.